instead of the the old ABS always be selling, we should take on the mantra of ABP always be planning. And I said to the team, now we probably want to get quarterly views of this stuff and readouts of how things are going so that when we get into planning even next year, we're not trying to pull together and scramble 60-page decks on what our territories are going to look like. Welcome to Revenue Insights. Every week, we'll be joined by revenue leaders from some of the most successful and highest growing companies. Together, we explore how they built their revenue teams, the journeys that they've been on, and the lessons they have learned along the way. Revenue Insights is brought to you by Ebster. We're a revenue intelligence platform designed to help revenue teams to build more pipeline, close more deals, and retain more customers. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Revenue Insights Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Kimberly Haley. She's the Vice President of Revenue Operations over at Talent. There, she has spent the past two years overseeing all go-to-market operational functions, having previously worked at SimilarWeb and Dun & Bradstreet. Kimberly, it's wonderful to meet you. Hi, great to be here. Good to see you. Finally, at last, we connect. <laughs> yeah, we've um, we've been trying to do this for the past like month, two months, I think, and owing to us going to events and I think you being in the midst of annual planning, um, it's finally come around. And actually, that's probably something that we're going to dive into a little bit more today. Before we get into it, though, Kimberly, I'd love to know a little bit more about your story and how you got to where you are today. Sure, sure. Um, Well, my story is probably similar to a lot of revenue, revenue operations leaders, where it was not one linear path. It kind of was a little bit more like this where it included a lot of different roles in different cities. So I started my career in a typical sales role back in Boston, Massachusetts, working for Reuters. And then um, I moved out to San Francisco and and took on more of a a customer success type position. And then I had that, that just, I think it was more of a personal goal to live abroad. I had, you know, the desire to move to London, personal desire to move to London. And so I was fortunate enough to get a customer success type role right around the corner from you at Thomson Reuters. And then it was just kind of happenstance that I stumbled into sales ops at that time because we were rolling out Salesforce here in London and or there in London, and uh, they needed some assistance on the customer success side. So I put my hand up and said, sure, I'll help out. And that started the journey to through sales operations. So it was first Salesforce rollout then Salesforce metrics, and then reporting on that. And then all of a sudden it was, we need to redo our pricing model and manage our discounting. Can you help us with that? And so then that kind of rolled into more of a commercial operations deal desk role. And it just sort of evolves from there. And I think that's how a lot of people take on their revenue operations career, that they just sort of get some experience. And then lo and behold, you've had a little enablement a little sales operations, a little bit of deal desk, and you have now a revenue operations organization. So that's kind of been my path. I left uh, Reuters when I moved back to New York and then went to a smaller startup, a SaaS-based startup, and kind of took that journey from there. So it's been it's been a little circuitous, but here we are. <laughs> it, it sounds a lot like uh, many marketers that I meet in the sense of they just seem to fall into it, right? Um, and And 
and then you go on a pretty crazy journey from there, right? Um, yeah. So getting to where you are today at Talend, um, and we kind of alluded to it at the beginning, I think something that's super relevant around this time of year is obviously annual planning, going, you know, preparing go-to-market strategies for next year. Um, it'd be great to hear a little bit more around what your annual planning process looks like. And um, what I'd be interested to know is uh, perhaps three kind of core parts that go into that planning process. Sure, sure. And I would say um, since I joined two years ago, it's definitely evolved. And that partly I think is we have some learnings from the year before and we've kind of applied them. And then the second thing is we're now a private company. And I think maybe public and private potentially approach planning a little bit differently. But I would say overall, I've been through the tops down planning, the bottoms up planning. This year, we're trying a zero based um, budget planning, which is basically you're starting from scratch at the beginning of the year. And you, you make no assumptions that what funding you had last year, you get again this year and you build business cases towards what you need, which has been really, really interesting because we all get a chance to hear from the product organization, the sales organization, the marketing organization, our, our engineering team, all of the funding asks that everyone has so that you can really understand how the entire business needs to be run. And I have to say some, and some of my requests after I heard say what product was requesting, I was thinking, mm, maybe mine is not as important as theirs because that's going to drive revenue a little bit more directly than some of the asks that I have. And so it, it helps you actually have a better view holistically of what's going to get prioritized and why. And then you can go back and help your team understand that as well. So I think that that was a really big change that we had this year that I thought was very fruitful. Um, one thing I also learned that I was talking to my team about was by the time people start asking us in revenue operations for data, which is about the August timeframe, it's too late. So I said to them, instead of the, the old ABS always be selling, we should take on the mantra of ABP always be planning. And I said to the team, now we probably want to get quarterly views of this stuff and, and readouts of, of how things are going so that when we get into planning even next year, we're not trying to pull together and scramble, you know, 60 page decks on, on what our territories are going to look like. But we have a one page view because we've been monitoring it all the way through the year. So I think that's my other big learning from this year is that you really want to be planning in advance and anticipating what is going to happen so that when you get into planning, it's it's not too late. You're kind of on the forefront. The concept of zero-based budgeting is really interesting. And I'd like to dive into it a little bit more because I'd be interested to know what was the, the motive for it? Um, you kind of talked a little bit more around what it is, but I'm curious to know, you know, why you made the decision to to try out zero-based budgeting and and also um, like what that process looked like in terms of starting to use it as part of your annual planning process. Yeah. Um, what the big read, the big why is because we previously, like many other companies probably had the other typical planning process where we were handed essentially an expense envelope. And then we had to fit within that. And that included your quota carrying reps. And then you had to figure out your support roles on top of that. And that got really difficult because it wasn't strategic enough for us to think, 
Where should we put the reps? Where are we going to get growth? What kind of growth are we going to get from different theaters? And then what support roles do you really need? What's critical? For example, um, are we going to be selling more using an indirect channel or a direct channel? And if we hadn't gone through this process this year, we wouldn't have thought through the funding we might need for an indirect channel like enablement for our partners. That's critical. That's a role that we that we really need if we're going to be leaning in more to the indirect channel method. And so if we hadn't gone through the zero-based budgeting, we would have never thought through more strategically what we need to do. So that was the, the real reasoning for it. And the process was great because we all got the same template. Every group got a template. And it was about, are you saving costs? You know, like a value-based discussion. Are you saving costs? Are you generating revenue? Are you mitigating risk? The three value drivers that every company should be thinking about. And we all had to complete that and then just strategically think about why we actually are asking for this resource or this tech piece of the tech stack and what it's going to drive. And so it was a lot more strategic than last year, which has been great. It sounds a lot like um, I had a guest on uh, Sonny Kumar the other week, and he was talking about um, uh, a mental model, which, you know, was going back to basics. And it sounds very similar along those lines of, you know, often, particularly in larger businesses, you've got the, all these costs coming in and going out and, and often it's why why are we spending the money on this and what you know what value are we actually getting from it? It sounds like uh, correct if I'm wrong. You know that's the process that you've really gone through of scrutinizing. You know what's going in, what's coming out, what value you're getting from it. Um, and so that's obviously gone into your planning for for this year. Is there anything that has really stood out from that process that you know really stood out to you? Of oh my god, what you know. <laughs> Why, why are we allocating budget here? I mean, when in fact it should have been going over here. Yes, and I would say, um, I would say there has been a really healthy conversation around the balance of innovation, and you know, we had some real conversations about if we don't do this, then we will not continue to innovate Go- going forward, forward growth, not just catching up to our competitors in some cases, but really thinking about three to five years from now, if we don't do this now, we won't actually move forward in three to five years. So that was a very different conversation there. And then how we balance that out with customers and customer support, cut better customer experience, making sure that we're giving existing customers what they need every single day. And that is that really just kind of took all of the noise away. And those were the two themes that that we spend that we spent the time on. And so, you know, as an example, it was about investment into a customer portal to better the customer experience and then innovation that we're not going to maybe see return on this year. But the following year, if we do it now, it will accelerate growth for next year. And you have to kind of weigh What's what's more important to you and, and how far out are you thinking? Yeah, it's then a question of prioritizing the thing that's going to deliver you the value. And, and I think that leads nicely on to something else that um, we were kind of talking about pre-show, which is, you know, making decisions based off of the current climate, you know. So yes. something that, that we were talking about beforehand, and I know from, from your experience, you know, you've worked at businesses that have gone through hyper growth, but also have gone through uh, industry contraction as well. And Something that I wanted to ask you about is, you know, at times like like they are right now, where they are contracting, um, what, what's your approach to that? How 
what are the uh, key areas that you're looking into when that is happening? And what advice would you give to other leaders um, in this situation? Yeah, it is. It's different um, because you have to think about a couple of different factors in your modeling versus how you might not necessarily consider them to be as important. So for example, attrition is a big concern. Um, we've come off a, a year of the great resignation. And if if you hadn't factored that into your modeling last year, that may have affected your attainment this year. And so thinking through how you handle that for next year, that wasn't a, a conversation that we really worried about because we had our average benchmark attrition rates in our model and that was that. But that was a after the great resignation that everybody went through that now changed our conversation. The other conversation, the big one for next year is how to motivate the salespeople in a down market. And it's it the conversation is real. It's not necessarily about more quota equals growth in this kind of market. It could mean lower quota could mean better attainment, which would mean more growth. And that's a very different conversation. It's getting people used to that concept of, well, maybe we lower quotas to help drive attainment because it will motivate and will lower that attrition. So there are different factors now that you have to think about that maybe weren't part of the modeling or part of the concern before. And I I think the last piece, so those two, and then the third is making sure again from from a sales perspective that each salesperson feels like they can be successful in their their territory so we're um doubling down on our propensity to buy model um we had a good one and this year we're going to make sure we have a great one so that they target the right accounts and they feel confident in the territory that they're given mm. and it's a, it's a really interesting one particularly around um uh lowering quotas right to to keep reps motivated and and i'm i'm curious to know on on that point as well is something that we were looking at beforehand was you know often you know you might have the same amount of leads coming through or you know even likely even less and obviously with a lot of those leads where budgets are tighter it then becomes even more challenging to actually close those deals at the end of the day and uh, i'm curious to know is there anything that has kind of gone into your annual planning process in terms of helping um, support reps in order to be able to, you know, work with um, potential customers that are, you know, tighter budgets, you know, they want to see faster time to value, they want to see more of ease of use, uh, given the current climate. Yes. And so two things that again, changed for this year that weren't as big of, of the part of the conversation last year. Number one is what we can do to help drive adoption. So we have we offer professional services. We're a, a pretty um, highly technical sale while we are an as-a-service company because we offer continuous value. It's still a, a, a pretty technical installation. So one of the conversations was how we leverage our professional services organization in ways that we may not have done in the past. Um, and then the second thing is looking at our marketing spend and wondering what can we do there to to maybe change the dynamic? So like probably a lot of people, there's a lot of shift to the digital model. And so we have a lot of incoming leads. Those are generally um, for small business and that's how you, you get the new logo engine going. <clears throat> and that's been successful. And so what we're looking at is, do we take some of those dollars and move them more to ABM? 
And perhaps that will help us in, in sort of the enterprise space. And we just change the dynamic a little bit. So those are two different things that we're looking at, I think, for this year. Mm. Adoption, I think, is an absolutely huge one, right? Um, particularly in terms of your lifetime value, but also reducing the amount of churn that you've got. So is there, um, you mentioned professional service in particular. Um, is there something that as a business you're starting to, you know, planning to roll out now, now uh, going into next year from an adoption perspective? Yes. Um, actually, we are, we're really excited because it's been about a year in the making. Um, we use Gainsight for our customer success or, uh, organization, and we are rolling out some measurement scores just to identify customers and their health. Are they happy with us? Are they satisfied? Um, are they adopting? Are they using? And all of that we will fold into a, a risk score so that we will have more insight into any potential retention issues. Because in a in an industry contraction or in a market contraction, I shouldn't just say industry, all industries, what I've what I've seen in in my past lives is that um, this is the time that customers are really evaluating what's important to them. So you have to make sure that you are differentiating and that you are sticky. And so we've really spent time making sure that our customers continue to be happy with us and developing ways that we can get ahead of that. So this year, actually, for our CSMs, we'll be compensating them differently. So our compensation plan is going to change and it will bring in two of those factors. One, the health score that we're launching through Gainsight. And then the second is adoption because those first 90 days statistically are critical. Um, if you're not fully rolled out within 90 days, that poses retention risk, that poses upsell risk. So making sure that we focus on those two metrics are going to be two new things that we'll introduce in our, our commission plans this year for them. Mm, it's really uh, the risk score I'm really fascinated by. Um, uh, so we love love score. I like scores like that, like an engagement score as well, right? So it's very close to my heart. Um, I'm I'm curious to know, you know, what what actually goes into that risk score? You know, so obviously to to people listening, they may not have access to it, and by the sounds of it, it's taken taken you guys a little while to get that developed and set up. But what are the factors that you're looking for that go into that risk score? You know, I think you touched on it there in terms of like. Uh, time being one of them, but I'd love to understand, uh, assuming of course that you can talk about it as if it's uh, like a black box, <laughs> no, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I will say um, one thing that, that I've learned is that it is evolutionary. So it's, you have to start it. That's my, my first learning from this year is that if you don't put one metric in there, then you'll never get started. But then the, the health of the health score gets better the more metrics you add. So um, usage, I believe usage was say the first one. And then there were other components of, around the number of visits or the number of engagements that were had with the customer through the year that gets added to it. And then um, the number of, of logins gets added to it and so on and so forth. And so it's a lot um, for us right now because we can track those product items those were kind of the first piece. And then I know that that there are plans to expand from there, but those were the, the critical ones to get in there. And, and I'm hearing that it gets stronger and stronger the more you add the metrics. Mm, uh, absolutely. And um, 
I completely agree with, you know, starting small, starting with what you know, and then uh, building on top of it and inevitably making it more complex over time. And so I guess the follow-up to that is then now how do you plan on rolling it out to your customer success teams? What does it look like in terms of their day-to-day? I think you touched on the commission structure, but um, it'd be great to know a little bit more of that um, enablement approach. Yes. And that was one of our learnings from planning last year that um, you have to prepare everybody for this kind of change. So we actually um, adopted the ad car model. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but that is essentially, it's kind of, um, it's it's a learning, it's a change management model is what it is. It's A-D-K-A-R. And it that's an acronym. And it essentially is is talking about you have to accept something, you have to be aware of something, you have to know about it in order for you to adopt it. And so my first year here, um, we sort of just jammed commission plans, territory plans, everything in January and said, here you go. And so um, we learned that that's not the best way to do it, especially if you're making such a change with, say, with the CSMs. And it's all good. I think they're going to really like it, but they need to embed it in their in their day-to-day work. So what we've started to do actually is have management sessions as early as now. That's why planning AB, ABP, you have to always be planning, meaning you always have to, you know, you have to get in front of the managers and say, this is coming. Here's here's some information for you to put in front of your CSMs. Um, we invested in in high spot last year, which has helped us tremendously so that we can just put things out there for them for learning. But getting in front of them in and starting to prepare them as soon as we learn about it is the big learning that I took away. And it is hard to make time for communication. You're so busy during planning, doing all of those things. I mean, our team is just cranking out models and territories and, and all of that and commission plans. And But if you don't stop, to to manage the change management, you'll you'll really regret it. And that we, you know, I learned the hard way in the past. And so we're trying to get ahead of it by at least starting with the managers to uh, un- for them to understand and then start to roll it out. So that come, you know, our sales kickoff in January, it's more of a reinforcement and motivation about the change and less about teaching them about it. So we're trying to do it this year. Yeah, I completely agree that the communication is often the bit that it's very easy to let fall by the wayside. And and particularly, I know from, from my experience, you know, you spend a lot of time building out plans. You know, in my world, it's marketing, right? And yours, it's for the whole go-to-market function. And you've spent so long on it that you understand it so well that you kind of just make the assumption of what you're rolling out, then everyone kind of understands. But obviously, right. then it's like, okay, we've got a risk score now coming out. I don't really understand how that's the yeah. grand scheme thing. Because they lack the wider context, right? Um, and, and the con- the communication then is is so important at that point. So, what is your, how how do you plan on kind of approaching it, and probably more generally in terms of communicating what those plans are to your teams? Yeah, um, that is that's a great question. We have evolved our communication, and this one I think is another one of those areas where you're probably constantly learning how to do it best, especially you know two year, two to three years after COVID, the ways that you may have communicated before don't work anymore um, because people are tired of the longer um, Zoom sessions, et cetera. So we're trying a couple different things. One, one thing is um, 
the and my enablement team have um, built a center of excellence around communication where they've established very simplified, streamlined communication methods. So um, this this has helped tremendously because salespeople now know where to go or the entire revenue organization, including CSMs, et cetera. They know to rely on these four points of communication, one being uh, an automatic newsletter that we send that just has hyperlinks to everything, but at least it's a summary and they can just keep that in their in their folder. And then the second thing is, as I mentioned, we invested in Highspot last year, which just houses everything. So um, we've had to be pretty rigid about taking things out of Salesforce, putting it in Highspot. Highspot has to be the place that everything lives because you can update it. And just to know that you don't have to store it on your desktop anymore. It's right there. And that was a, a pretty important game changer. And then um, the third thing that we're doing actually rolling out next year is an LMS and a learning management system is going to help us be a little bit more modern and I think probably be able to scale a little bit better in our communication because you can do short two minute snippets on here's the risk score and what goes into it instead of, you know, an hour long enablement session that you have to schedule for three different time zones. Mm. So something that I'm really keen to pick up, actually, that I made a note of when you were talking earlier, you were talking about um, uh, the compensation scheme for your customer success teams. And actually, something that we kind of touched on beforehand was commission structures for, for AEs as well. And obviously, to as part of, you know, keeping them motivated, obviously, commission is a huge part of that. Um, appreciate that you might not be able to talk like specifics of, of kind of what you're uh, looking at going into into your next financial year, but what is how are you kind of looking at those commission structures with the current climate in mind and you know potentially lower quotas? Um, and what role is that really playing in how you're planning? Yeah, um, probably like a lot of people out there, it is it's pretty critical. And like I said, the conversation is a little bit different in terms of um, what can we do to motivate to motivate the entire organization, not just the salespeople, but to motivate everyone um, to do whatever the role is. So for example, um, you know, we're, we're simplifying. That's one thing that we're doing this year that I think is going to help things. And simplification is in, okay, SDR, um, your role is pipeline, good quality pipeline and conversion. So making sure that the metrics are focused on that and um, getting rid of any noise that may have been in the plan outside of that one thing. And then for, for, the, for the account exec or the salesperson, um, driving new business. And that's two ways, with existing customers or new logo. So really just focusing on that piece. And because you can get complicated when you say, well, this year we have this product strategy. So you'll get an extra bonus if you do, if you focus on that product or um, if, you know, we had linearity, if you focus on that and, and that can tend to um, confuse and distract. So when, when you really need to be honing in, in these types of economic conditions, I think it's about simplicity and um, really just about what the core role is meant to do and making sure that you motivate those three things. And that's what we're doing. The, the bit that really stands out to me is the simplicity of it. And um, and you're not the first person that I've spoken to either that is taking you know a much more simple approach to it. And 
it kind of makes me wonder, you know, when, at times of when it's um, uh, when it is more of a growth market, you know, you start adding layers of complexity to it. And whether actually keeping it simple, and I'm curious to kind of get your perspective on it is, is keeping it simple actually does it obviously make sense from a times of contraction, but does it make sense to maintain that at times of high growth as well? Or does it, it, it if you see what I mean, because I'm, I'm wondering whether yeah. it, it actually warrants the additional complexity that you start to add to it when it is in a growth period. I know, I know. And I think that's where um, sometimes these, these market or economic contractions happen for a reason because it does sort of, it level sets you. It brings you back to the core. It makes you um, really evaluate what's important. And yes, I think it should probably sustain. You just, t- you just tend to get excited and add things as you grow. And then you just, then you ever, you know, you hit a point where you say, Ooh, got to pull it back a little bit. And here we are doing that exact thing. Um, I think it's healthy for businesses to have to do that every, every couple of years. So unfortunately, um, it's not great what forced us to, to be doing this, but it's a, it's a good exercise to go through. It's like cleaning out the closet. Yeah, absolutely. It needs must right and kind of um, keeping what's essential um, and yeah. really clearing away everything else that you've got. And um, I'm curious, um, actually, to kind of go back to some of where we were at the beginning, but that everyone's annual planning process tends to, tends to vary, right? Um, depending on the needs of the business and the structure of the business. And I'm curious to know, um, you know, probably in a fairly, let's keep it fairly simple, right? Um, your, your process from like at the very beginning, um, of, I'm guessing, uh, to, to use, uh, to use your phrase, always be planning. Um, so what does your process look like when you are always be planning? Is it, I need data first and then, um, start to take insights from it. I, I'm curious to know what, what it looks like for you. Mm. Yes. And I think I would love to be able to provide a um, step-by-step to-do list on this because if if I could, I would use it myself. Um, because unfortunately, at least I think right now, it's almost like a lot of it is simultaneous. Um, but eventually, I, I would hope it becomes chronological. Um, but the I would say the first thing really is to start your your market segmentation and, and addressable market an analysis at the macro level. And we did start that in April. Generally speaking, looking at our three theaters where we do business and um, what the addressable market is, not the the distribution mediums yet. Let's not think about where how we'll sell it, but let's look at where we'll sell it. And that was the beginning. And I think probably everybody starts there as well. And then moving into the things that you can constantly track in the, in the revenue operations team, that gets a little bit more specific to the revenue organization. So you kind of like a big general, and then you get a bit more specific into how is the performance by the different distribution methods, direct sale, indirect sale, what territories are performing better than others, how much um, new business versus existing business is each territory selling? What's the the account penetration? Um, what prospects are there? Types of prospects that they tend to hit because that will tell us if we're if we should be capitalizing on some sales plays. And you start to whittle it down, down, down to then I think a growth 
trajectory, a growth rate, a growth percentage that will then drive what quotas would be. That's, I think, the ideal state. Right now, we're almost there where we definitely started macro and then the simultaneous piece existed with the the finance team working through the business case process and us working through what we think we can deliver from a quota and growth perspective. Mm. Yeah, I, I think you did a pretty pretty good job seeing as you uh, said you don't really have a step-by-step process, but um, <laughs> it, it sounds like you've got a pretty clear way of, of, of how you approach it. And as you say, I think um, it, it really does vary by business and obviously the different teams that you have and the regions that you're going into. But at a very basic level, actually, um, uh, you make it sound certainly very simple. Um, if only. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very true. Um, and uh, to take us in a slightly different direction, because, uh, I mean, your career's obviously spanned, you spent two years at Talent, been at similar web before that, um, a number of other SaaS businesses. Looking at the perhaps the past two years, um, if you could take what you know now and what you've learned over those two years, you know, perhaps from this annual sales planning, but arguably more holistically, um, and you go back in time, back to when you first, um, when you first started there, uh, what would you do differently? I would spend more time understanding the tech stack and the value and where we have duplication and where we need to invest for improvement. Um, because that is, I'm a, I kind of really like to tell the modern sale. Um, and that is the modern sale. And if companies are not paying attention to AI driven tools, um, you could potentially fall behind. And so I, I think that and it can get so unruly. And that I think we're at an inflection point right now in revenue operations where there is a, a role to be created. I'm sure a lot of people like our organization, we have a couple of people devoted to the tech stack, but I'm not even sure that we've got it quite right in terms of measuring value, um, having, being able to evaluate, having the time to evaluate the most modern AI driven tools, you need someone to stay on top of that while making sure that your CRM is clean and easy and efficient for the teams to use it like a CRM. And then making sure your customer portals and your customer communication um, methods are, are all efficient as well. It's going to drive the full customer journey. And I think looking back, um, it was one of those things that we, you know, looked at renewals and we just kind of got it off the plate. But, but I would really probably looking back, spend more time on that. And, and that's what we're, we're going to try and do next year is put a strategy around the tech stack. It's, it's, it's getting a little bit out of hand. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's an ongoing battle as well, right? Uh, because the more tech that you, that you add in, the more tech debt that you have, the more complicated it becomes. And, well, it sounds like you should, you, you should probably take a similar approach to it to like your zero-based budgeting, right? Of going back to the to the root cause of it and and the root situation of you know what do we have, you know who's using it, are we actually getting value out of it? Obviously, the challenge becomes you know is it cause or effect, um, and and often it's hard to attribute 
you know the numbers that you've got to tech that you've already got um so <laughs> what i was thinking yeah, was we are doing it too right i mean this is yeah. what they're probably doing with our services so we we all have to i think that's a great point is is following that same zero-based budgeting approach to that. And that, and maybe that's, you know, a way to, to sort of get it under control for sure. And you know that that's what customers are, are doing with any, any service that they have probably next year too. They have to find the value of it. So if we're all conscious of it. Well, I know it's a, it's a, it's a challenge for a lot of our, our audience as well. A lot of people that I speak to. Uh, so um, once, once you've cracked it, we'll, uh, we'll get you back on the podcast so you can uh, tell us all about it. This sounds good. <laughs> um, so last question, Kimberly. Um, I'd love to know uh, what would be the one book that you would recommend to other revenue leaders? Yes. Yes. I'm, um, I've been thinking about this one and I think you can go in a couple of different directions, right? You can go down the, you know, what's the best reporting metrics type type book. But I was thinking about the revenue, the, um, evolution of the revenue operations role and especially during planning. So this is a bit of a thematic book that I'll, I'm going to tee up. Um, what I realized is that this revenue operations role is just, it's kind of the, the central point to so many things during the planning process. And if, if you're not um, agile and nimble, um, you can, you can tend to get too wrapped up in a particular direction and not be successful, but you also have to sort of take a step back and and be unbiased and fair and balanced to every part of the organization. So I was thinking through in my past lives, what what book helped me get there? And um, my book is, my recommendation, I have it right here, is the, the Sink, Float, or Swim book because it is all about... Um, sustaining your leadership, like what you can do to take care of yourself, how you can stand out as a leader. Um, so it's sort of like personal taking care of yourself and then professionally what you can do to get ahead. And it, it just gives you some really good snippets about making sure that you can have a 12-hour day as long as you take time for yourself, but then also how to approach meetings most efficiently to be most productive because we're the central point of a lot of things when it comes to planning. So we have to be able to, to be there and be present um, and be productive for everybody. So there's a lot on our shoulders. So we have to take care of ourselves. <laughs> that, that's a wonderful recommendation. Um, I'll be sure to include a link down to the show notes. So um, I, I know you've just held it up to the cameras and uh, I'm conscious that uh, anyone listening to Apple Podcasts as well, uh, wait, I can't see the cover of it. We'll include a link in the show notes so, uh, so they can go and find it. Um, Great. Kimberly, it's been so wonderful to have you on the podcast. At long last, we finally made it happen. Um, if anyone wants to connect with you, learn more about what you're doing over at Talend, um, where can they connect with you? Uh, please, my contact information is on my LinkedIn profile, Kimberly Haley. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. And we'll put that in the show notes as well so right. they can easily find you. Um, yes, as I say, it's been fantastic to have you on. Thank you so much. Um, if you're back in, in our neck of the woods in London at any point, it'd be wonderful to, to meet up and maybe we can uh, do round two of this in person. That sounds great. Yes. At, uh, at the Griffin <laughs> conference room, <laughs> as we used to call it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, 
Kimberly, thank you so much. And to everyone that's listened to this week's episode, it's been wonderful uh, to have you listening. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Revenue Insights. If you want to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter and we'll deliver every episode straight to your inbox. If you have any questions, feel free to connect with us on LinkedIn. Our links will be in the episode notes. See you next week.